it's very unfortunate for the days we live in that we have to act in some extraordinary ways. Uh, but let's trust the Lord that all is good. Uh, we want to thank the Lord for this Sabbath day. Uh, campus ministry is where life is. One of the reasons why I feel campus ministry is always where life is uh, is because as a, as, as a Bible student, I always imagine that I'm speaking to people who already are exercising their minds towards certain disciplines of life. And I imagine that you can exercise your life also towards the Word of God. Is that true? Yes. So I'm not uh, imagining that I'm coming to bluff. You know, when you are in a local church, you have people who may not follow up. Because the Bible, indeed, people of God, uh, as much as people would want us to feel, people would want us to find it as a place of uh, anecdotes or uh, probably uh, quotes, the Bible is, is, is a person. The Bible is, is, um, is an entity, I would say, the Word of God desires a communication. There should be some communication. And for that reason, you will realize uh, that is structured in a way that invites dialogue. It invites you to reason. No wonder the Bible tells us so in Isaiah 1 verse 18. That God is always saying, come let us reason together. And I guess that the place of the campus is the best place where God does better reasoning. Unfortunately, when we come to the campus, we imagine that our reasoning has passed, surpassed God's reasoning. I don't know whether that's the fact. But we stop reasoning with him. And so many people drift away from God when they get into campus because they imagine that their minds are expanding far, you know, like the things of God look primitive uh, to be able to relate to them. But again, it's also in the campus, in the world that we live in today, where we have known that all revivals in Christendom have begun. Revivals in Christendom began in campus and I want to believe again it's because it's the place where people exercise their minds. I want you to go to the book or to the letter of Paul to Timothy, the second letter of Paul to Timothy. And I want to read verse 20 to 22. As I began by saying, I am not apologetic when I become very keen on what I read and what I say because I'm in an environment of academicians. So I want you to also seize the opportunity to look at the text even as it is read and listen to it as it is expounded uh, that we may be like the Bereans. You leave and go think through it. Second Timothy chapter 2 and verse 20 to 22. I'll read. Thank you so much. I'll call you to read. But for this, I want to also as a preacher, feel it. As I read it, I want you to read it. But I want to read it. Thank you so much. I'll call on you to read in a moment. The Bible says this. But in a great house, they are not only vessels of gold and of silver. But also of wood and up. And some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself, purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel and to honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. Flee also your youthful lusts, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, Peace with them that call on the, on, the, on the Lord out of pure heart. The central point of my message this afternoon is going to be that we shall be vessels of honor if we flee from our youthful lusts and follow righteousness and fellowship with those who call on the name of the Lord. That is the message that I'll be speaking towards. 
So in case you get sleepy and sleep over, please remember that the key message of the preacher is, we shall be vessels of honor. Remember the theme is being vessels of honor. So the message is, we shall be vessels of honor. And we make it conditional because it depends on your choice. If we flee from our youthful lusts, follow righteousness and fellowship with those who call on the name of the Lord with pure hearts. Grew up in the village of Siaya. I don't know how many of you know where Siaya is, but if you've not been to Siaya, those days of our growing up, there was only one bus that came to that place. That tells you how far it is. And the OTC bus overseas, I think, something, something, used to go to that end of the world towards as if you're going to Busia. And I grew up with my ma grandmother. And I remember one thing as I bring it home to this message, that she had several vessels in the house. My grandmom had special vessels that she used plates in that sense, that she used during Christmas when we had guests. And then she had plastic ones that we all could use every day. And I remember that it was a crime if grandma found you picking part of the vessels that were inside in the wardrobe. Actually, she locked them up. But you know, sometimes you get, as a young person, uh, you wonder why you cannot use them. And then you only understand when she finds out that you used them. That was the experience. And I was reading this text. I was called to remember that particular life experience with my grandmother. These were plates. And these she used for special moments. And there were those that she used for every other moment. But I also want to remind us, bring it home to you today. Many of you have attended parties, and I guess that you have been to parties where they serve you with a plate that after you have used it, you can dispose. They call them disposable plates. But there are also parties where you go and find, yes, you sit on the table, at least if you have a card, and you're served on a plate, you could call them ceramic plates from China, special plates. In fact, thinking of that, I want to post you a question also as I go forward. What kind of a plate, if we're using that metaphor, would you wish to be? Do you want to be a disposable plate or a ceramic ware? In the life that you live each day and as we invite ourselves, you know, this is Advent men and Advent ladies day in the sense these are, according to the church manual, called auxiliary services. Meaning these are departments that are utilized to support the church services. An Adventist man, an Adventist woman is called to be of service to God. And that's why I find we all usually engaged, all of us, rightly as the leader said, Eric, that we are involved in the service of the Lord. So the question I want you to ask is, do you want to be a disposable plate or a ceramic ware. Let's go to, the, uh, to, to, to our message today. At this particular moment of the reading of 2 Timothy, Paul is in the dungeon. Could be Paul is already hearing the feet of those who are coming to take him to the chopper, meaning to the place where they're going to cut off his head. As we all understand, Paul's death came in that manner and I'm imagining, I'm reflecting that at that moment, naturally as a man, Paul could have been consumed with thoughts about his life. Who wants to die? But I'm touched by the fact that Paul did not allow himself to be consumed about his life. His life is consumed by the legacy that he wishes to carry forth through his son, Timothy. The Bible tells us in the introductory remarks, if you able to turn over the leaf in chapter 1, you will see Paul referring to Timothy as a son. 2 Timothy 1 verse 2. He says to Timothy, My dearly beloved son, grace and mercy and peace from God and the Father Jesus Christ, our Lord. Timothy is a dear son of Paul. 
And Paul is burdened in these last hours of his life to be able to write to his son. For of him he has known that his time has come to an end. Reading again 2 Timothy 4 verse 7, Paul says this, I have fought the good fight, and I have finished my course, and I have kept the faith. He understands his final hours. He knows there's nothing more that he has to do in life. He knows that he's only about to die. And therefore he takes his pen and imagining and he writes these two letters to Timothy. And in them he sets out all that is expected of one who has been called of God. Because when you read First Timothy, you will see that Paul is burdened about the service of a young man to God. Second Timothy, he brings it more closer to the life of Timothy because at this particular time, he has come to know that Timothy could be or may be ashamed of the gospel. Three things at least he knew that Timothy could begin to be ashamed about. Number one, he thinks that Timothy at this moment could begin to be ashamed of the gospel. Ashamed of the gospel because if you read again, there are few people who have already left the faith. They have walked away from the faith. And therefore he fears that Timothy could probably be also enticed to leave the faith and leave the life of Christ. The second, uh, the second thing that I believe that he also trying to highlight people of God, I don't want to go into the readings, but if you read a little back in ch uh, chapter 3, like the one that Timothy could be ashamed of the, uh, uh, of the gospel, he speaks of a few men that have already left the gospel. That is in verse 17 of 2 Timothy 2.17. He says, in their word, and, and their word will eat as, as does the counter of whom Hymenas and Philetas, of Hymenas and Philetas, these two people, these two people have already left the faith. And therefore, he's calling Timothy not to also follow in tune. The second thing he also fears that Timothy could give up on is God himself. You know, considering, as you all will understand, uh, at times the things we go through. Timothy has walked with Paul. He has seen Paul being faithful. But at this moment, Paul is in prison. Prison has become his common room. And they would, I would imagine that Paul is saying, Timothy could be in that valley of decision. Something that is very common of us as young people. You come to God. And truly you are expecting that from God. You will receive a life of goodness. You will receive a life of peace. But only to realize that as you come of God. You are Lord. Your portion of life seems to be only tears that you cry. Through the pains that God allows you to go through. Is it not true that some people young people. Even grown ups give up on God because of that? Because they begin to wonder if we have a mighty God of whom we have sung that he is a mighty God. If we have such a God who is powerful, how can he allow you to go through the things you're going through? Or young people, we could begin to ask the question, if we have a loving God who cares, how can he allow you to go through the things you're going through? Now, these are questions that I would imagine Paul is already reflecting on and he knows that Timothy could be able to give up on God. Not only give up on the gospel or the message, but also give up on God himself. Now, young people, we should not think of this to be strange when at times our minds wander and we begin to think, well, God is not as much good as it is because of what I'm going through. Even David came to that point. Psalm 73 says, well, God is good. And I know God is good. But as for me, I was about to stumble. For when I looked around, I saw that people who don't care about God seem to have it all well. But as for me, who at times deny myself to do my reading, deny myself all the joy that the world seems to suggest or to offer, here I am. Tears have been the portions of my eyes. That's been my portion. I'm crying every day. And I want to tell you today, as we're going to consider, we are going to see that as Paul tells Timothy, don't give up on God. Endure. In fact, in chapter 2, Paul uses 
10 metaphors. We are not going to consider that. Probably in the afternoon we'll look at others. But Paul uses 10 metaphors just to tell Timothy that he should endure. If you read with me, I'll expound on them in the afternoon. Verse 5, he says, if a man also strives for mastery, yet he is not crowned, except he strives lawfully. Paul invites Timothy to strive, to endure, to discipline himself. He says, discipline yourself as a husband, as a farmer, as a laborer who partakes of the fruit. Diligence, discipline yourself as a soldier who is not going to engage in the local things once he has enrolled himself into the army. Discipline yourself as an athlete who will run considering the crown that is set before him. So Paul is speaking to the young man, Timothy, and telling don't give up on God. He may appear at times absent, but he's present. Amen? And he will know that he's present because indeed his purposes never fail. He may appear to be absent, but he's present. Because if you can't see his hand in your situations, you can trust his heart. You can trust that he's a loving God. And nothing else truly can give you hope and confidence as knowing a God who loves you. Yes, his hand, because of the situations that you're going through, his hand may not be visible, but I want to tell you, his heart remains steadfast. His love endures forever, the psalmist tells us. And therefore, children of God, this is the context in which we see Paul. And Paul writes this letter, and today in the context of the vessels, Paul invites Timothy to reflect on the vessels in the household. He tells Timothy that in this, in the house, there are many vessels. And he says that the vessels are many, not for the sake of uh, 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 for the sake of it all. You know, there are houses where vessels are just many. You know, uh, there is one time some friend was telling me that you know people go for shopping in France, and I was wondering France, why do you have to go shop in France just to buy this a lady? Mostly ladies have this trouble, but she uh, she had gone to buy. A handbag costing so many dollars so that friends can see that her handbag has a label. You know, I know what that means because now I have a young man who just turned 18 and sometimes I know how it happens when I walk around and I feel that this is a good t-shirt on him. When I bring it home, he opens the collar and checks and says, Daddy, I don't need this one. Why? Then he opens. Daddy, see, see where it is from. I never knew about labels until my son grew up. Labels. It's not about labels when you're talking about many vessels in the house of the Lord. It's about purpose. Hallelujah. Paul says there are many vessels in the house and they're all for a certain purpose. Children of God, it's not about the handbags in France nor about my son's label on the t-shirts. But I want to tell you because this is the mentality that at times consumes our lives. We at times want our lives to be like, what is the label that I could have on myself? What is it that people see about me? I want to tell you, you should be more concerned of what God has created you to accomplish. That is the most significant thing. You don't, you don't need, the reason why so many of us are anxious and so many of us are depressed is because of the level you want to give people. What do you want people to see you? How do you want people to see you? The Bible tells us a good name is better than riches. God has created all of us for a special purpose. That's why we're saying being a vessel and to honor. So Paul is saying to Timothy that there are many vessels and each vessel is intended for a certain purpose. It's not about God. Paul is not telling Timothy about the many wares in the household just because somebody wants to tell you, see, like 
Hezekiah, Hezekiah, yes, who is telling the Babylonians, you see the riches in my house. The Bible tells us that that day the word of God comes to him to rebuke him. God has not called you, child of God, to have these several levels about you in life, which are making you anxious, so that you cannot be able to rejoice in the Lord. Because you're wondering about a God who loves and is powerful and you're looking at yourself and you, doesn't, you don't seem to measure up. I want to tell you, this is a secret. This is the main thing of life. The Bible says that God's creation of us was not of anything of us, but it was of him who created us that he may rejoice in us. Hallelujah. I hope you have said there is a text that people like re reading during the music festival when they say, God will dance with us. Always sing with us. Essentially, what he's saying, God will rejoice over you when you fulfill the reason why you are here. Hallelujah. People of God, are we together? So this is where we are. Paul is utilizing the metaphor of the vessel so that uh, Timothy could be brought into this experience of understanding that his life is more for the usefulness that is intended. His life is for the work that God wants him to accomplish. God's sovereign choice has given us the opportunity. We are reminded of Jeremiah sent into the house of the porter to be reminded of what God has intended for each one of us. My first point in my introductory points is to tell each one of us, children of God, that in our relationship with God, the what constitutes you does not matter. The what matters is the purpose. What constitutes you does not matter. That is secondary. What matters is for the reason you are here. And I want to tell you that God has not created any redundancy. It may be within the categories of men of the world or where you are. You don't seem to be relevant. But if you're alive, you are created for a reason and a purpose. In fact, I like one writer I used to, to read about him. His father is, is now dead. He used to be called Miles Mundro. And he used to say this. If you are tempted to steal as a Christian, the best place to go and steal is the graveyard. Graveyard is a place where people are dead who could have been great engineers, but they never were. The graveyard is a place where there are great preachers who are in the grave with someone they never preached. Graveyard is a place where we find the great physicians who could have been, but they never were. Why? Because they kept comparing their lives with the people around them. And they failed to fulfill their mission in the world. You know, when we come to campus, is a, a place where people kill their dreams. Because they come to campus, and when you come to campus, I know about it. You know, I got to campus later in my life, probably if the Spirit inspires me, I'll give you my little story. But I come to campus later in my life. I was not privileged, as many of you are privileged, to go out through a process whereby at a certain age you're supposed to be somewhere, and I was there. So the only thing I know about crowd mentality is high school. Our days were then when high school was truly a place of crowd mentality. You are made to know that you are a form one. And as you grew up also when you got to, to, to form four, you had to make people know you are a form four after you finished the exam by probably burning down the dome. The crowd mentality is one of those things that captures when we come in a place like the university. And we get around to think that we should just be as one. I usually say we begin to act like monkeys. You know monkeys, when one laughs on one tree, they all laugh. Campus makes us to begin to think together. No! Yes, we can commune, but always remember that you are on a mission. You have come to campus, yes, but you are on a mission. Don't allow yourself to be lost in people. Don't get lost in people. Don't fuse yourself. Remain who you are. Now this is not easy by the way. One of the things we fear in life is to be ourselves. We fear. It's tough. And that's why it's only 
Jesus who gives us the confidence to accept to be who we are. Like the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4, the Bible tells us about her. Up to the moment she meets Jesus, she's been with five men. Of them, looking for herself. Of them, finding levels. But when she meets Jesus and she goes back home, she says, come and see the man who has told me everything about me. She's able to appreciate herself. It's no longer the shame. She couldn't have said that before she missed Jesus because that meant shame that tells me everything about me. Probably she could have picked a fight with somebody who could have told her about her life. Only Jesus gives us the courage, children of God, because we begin to know that Jesus can use even your mess to become a message. He makes your mess into a message. The things the villagers would have laughed about become her message. Jesus is the one who is going to use your test and temptation to become a testimony for somebody. So you don't need to curse him. You want to bless his name because the things you thought that he had forsaken you, he has given them to you to be a testimony for somebody to know about him. Hallelujah. You are on a mission, child of God. Don't get lost in people. Let me tell you about Compass. Compass, you have to understand who you are associating with. Because in Compass, you have to know that in Compass, we have these three people that you have to be you're able to categorize. Number one, you have to know whether the person you are relating to is a constituent. Constituents are those whom you share with same values. Like now, I can't say that all the people you find here are all the people that you have, you know, as friends. These are constituents because you share same values. You come to the same church. So you have to know we are up to this point. We share, we are in fellowship together. And then you ought to know that there are people who will come around you as comrades. You know, comrade is the name we use in campus. But you know, comrades are essentially when we have the same enemy. Then we are comrades. So you need to know when. <laughs> do you, is it your enemy? Then the real person you want to look for is a confident. One who, in whom you can confide. Whom you can pray with on campus. So those who are coming on campus, that was a free one. But I want you to come around to appreciate what I wanted to say. That you are on a mission. Paul is telling Timothy, Timothy, you are called of God for a special purpose. Just like the several vessels in the house, God has also those that are called. Now let's begin looking at what he tells him about these vessels. He tells him there are several, but as much as they are in number, he says that there are some that are for honor and some that are for dishonor. Now, our calling today is that we may appreciate that we need to be vessels of honor. We don't want to be vessels of dishonor. And what kind of people does God use greatly? What kind of people will God direct for being vessels of honor? Now, you'll hear some of the things. So, he describes them. Verse 21. So, we've looked at verse 20. He says, great house. They are only vessels of gold. They are vessels of God. Verse 20, he says about, he describes this is what is vessels now. now let's go back to verse 20. Let me look at the, uh, at, at the projection here so that we all can be together. So he says, but, you know, that but is built on something in verse 19 where he says, this is sure. God knows who are his. You know, God knows who are his. It doesn't matter whether the pastor knows you or he doesn't know you, but God knows who are his. But, he says this. In the house, there are many vessels. Some of gold, some of silver. But also, there are also those of wood. Meaning, he makes the distinction. And now, he carries further to make the distinction. Saying, these which are not gold or silver. These are of honor. You can begin to read Paul's mind here. And then, he says, these which are of wood. Which are considered to be inferior in comparison he says this as some of dishonor he makes the distinction that was my first point to tell you the distinction here 
as much as using material things, which in the eyes of men could look like he's more concerned about the material. But child of God, I want you to capture Paul's thought. Paul is not interested about the material that constitute the vessels, but he's, con he's going to speak about what he's going to say will make us appreciate that Paul is speaking about the service that they are carried for. What they're used for than the material. Are we together? Are we together, children of God? So it's not about the levels again, but it's about the usefulness. That's why we could appreciate that God at times could use even a wood. He could use even an earthen. So it's not about the constitution or what constitutes them, but it is more about the purpose for which God has intended them to accomplish. Now go verse 21 and see how we now he begins to explain it. Now see, verse 21. This is where our message is going to be built. Verse 21, please move with me. Then he says, therefore, remember therefore is a conclusive word. He says, therefore, purge, if, if a man therefore purge himself from these. Now, these are going to be the content of what you're going to build on. He says, he shall be a vessel of what? Honor. Honor. If anyone, he shall be a vessel. Then he repeats it. When the Bible repeats things, there is importance there. Purge there. The word purge there. It's the same word he repeats there. He says, sanctify. And then he also then honor and then sanctify and meet for the master's use. Now he's explaining the distinction of the vessels and prepared and to good work. Now here he's given us the first thing that will make you a vessel and to honor. The thing that will bring up fulfillment in your life. Is going to be this. Verse 22. Now he wants to break them down. The first thing he says is what? Somebody help me. Flee. Flee also from what? Your youthful lust. Let's build that message first. We remember our message today is. We shall be vessels of honor. We shall be as of gold and silver. We shall be distinguished vessels. If. Number one. Flee also your youthful what? Last. Children of God. As Paul is speaking about this. The first thing that he calls unto us. He calls Timothy. And I want to believe he calls us. Is the people of God. To be used of God. To be of usefulness in the master's hand. The first thing God calls you to do. Is to be separate. Run away. In another way, you could say in context, Paul is challenging Timothy to be approved of God, to be of service. And I want to tell you, children of God, that the thing that gives life the zest and the passion of it is to understand why you are here. Hallelujah. I want to tell you that. The thing that makes you desperate is because you've not understood why you're here. You have imagined that your life has to be like your neighbor's. You have imagined that your life must be somebody else's life. And for that reason, you keep comparing yourself until you find yourself about to run mad. And I want to tell you, for you to find meaning, for you to find life with its zest, is to be in the master's hand. To be useful in the master's hand. And to be useful in the master's hand, Paul says to Timothy, separate yourself. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So Paul tells Timothy, you need to separate yourself. You need to separate yourself. Number one thing that he tells Timothy that he needs to separate himself is the word he uses. He uses, let me know before, he uses the word purge. Purge and sanctify. Now these words imply that if one is to be useful of God, he needs to cleanse himself. Of filth. Let me say number one is filth. Because the word used there is cleanse yourself. Some translation give us that word. The word purge. The word purge in itself suggests an element of cleansing. Suggests an element of being clean. Being without filth. 
So, you know, it's not old-fashioned religion, children of God, when people speak about something which is filthy in your life. I know at times people say you are so judgmental. Mm -mm. It's about God himself. He's saying that if we are going to be honorable, if we are going to be of usefulness to God, then there are certain behaviors that should be purged. God is saying our relationship is going to be intact with him if we purge ourselves. Now I want to tell you that our relationships affect how much God can use us. And I want to say this. If our relationship are primarily with professing believers we will, uh, and professing people, we are more likely going to find ourselves with filth. Now I'm not saying that God is saying that we should not be without friends who are not of our, of, our, of our affiliation of church. But it's saying if we associate ourselves with certain people, if you associate ourselves with certain materials that we read, if you associate yourself with certain things like a program, you will find yourself indeed contaminated for lack of better language. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 15.33, do not be deceived, bad company corrupts what? Good morals. When you partner with those who live in a compromised life, you will negatively be affected. So Paul is not apologetic about this, nor is the Holy Spirit apologetic by saying, flee from filthy lusts of your life. As a young man, as a young, uh, young lady, God is saying, you won't be useful of me. You need to separate yourself. Now, I was trying to struggle to see now, listen to me. You know, I'm a Bible student. You come to AUA, Adventist University of Africa. Uh, I teach language. I, I teach Greek. I'm not saying that because I want to show off. I'm only saying it because I want to tell you when you see me being concerned of certain things in the text, it's because my mind somehow has got used to ask those questions. So when I was reading and I was looking, now listen to me, when I was looking to hear or to see, uh, go back, go back, go back, please, Pudge, go back, up, 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 uh, 1 Corinthians, uh, no, Timothy, 2 Timothy. When I was reading the word, word Pudge, I was looking at that word and I was like, this looks so strong, God. Is it this really what you're asking? And I was saying, if a man therefore Pudge himself, now, I don't know, some of you remember your English if you're not in a language department. This is a verb. And this verb is an active voice. It means the action is in, intended for the subject. You know, in the Bible, there are times when the Bible uses a passive voice where it is like, okay, sit back and some energy will enable you. But this is not the case. It says, purge. Meaning, and actually it's an imperative if I remember well. God is like telling you, do it. Do it. Do it. Don't say that I'm human. Don't say that I can. God is saying, do it. And it's all because, as we read in the lesson today, that which God does in us, he doesn't only give you pardon, he gives you power. Hallelujah. So every beating of God is enabling when he tells you, separate yourself, he says, incorporate your will with my will and see how powerful you will be. Allow your will, exercise your will. Say, I'm separating myself. I'm leaving these things. He says, purges himself from these. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us these. But that's what you're building on. So when he says flee, he says flee from all you youth for lusts. Now I want to say this, that it seems the Bible is very intentional when he says your youthful lusts. Because you know, as we are growing, I guess many of us are at that point in your life where some of the things happening in your life seem to be abnormal. Seems like you are not baptized with enough water. Or if you seem like you're not in the right church. Because of the things happening. The passions awakening in your life. But I want to tell you. God set them in your life. There's nothing abnormal with them. 
reading Song of Solomon 8, I guess verse 4, he says, do not awaken love before its time. Why? Because it's there. It's resident in you. The passions are there. So when Paul says, flee from them, meaning do not give them occasion. Do not give them opportunity to control you. Yesterday I was coming, somebody was telling another one that, you know, I bought a Subaru, but I don't love it because, you know, I don't like a car that drives me. I want a car that I drive. I like that analogy when I'm talking about passions of young men and women. You don't want your passions to drive you. You want yourself to drive your passion. Amen? Knowing that they are good and blessed for you. We'll talk about that in the evening. God has given you those passions. Let nobody tell you they are demonic. Hmm? They are not demonic. The only thing God wants you is to glorify him with those passions. Direct them in the, in, in the place where God. That's why the Bible says you are strong. Meaning if you direct that passion to God, it will be for his glory. So the thing we're saying, flee from filth. And then he says, not only that, these things that Paul speaks about, I can't know where to get them. So I'm, I've built up a few things that I'm saying. Number two, flee. Now you see the qualification I'm putting here? Flee from the fleshy passion. Fleshy passion. Not only flee from the lust which are filthy, but the passion, fleshy passion. Meaning, there are passions which are good. You need your passion. But the fleshy passions, you need to flee. Keep away, some translations say. Keep away from them. You know, the passion of the youth here referred to, uh, referred to evil desires that are especially prominent in adolescence and young adults. Okay, let me just bring it home. Flee is the point I'm saying. Let me bring it home. Ten minutes. Flee. Flee is the point. Flee from filthy youth lust. The part B of that, flee from the passion. As a young person, an adolescent, therefore, I'm not building that because that will take away what I wanted to say. That's the reason why I ask about time because I was going to go into adolescence and the distinction with the implication of what age is right for you to fall in love. But I'll talk about that later. So Paul does not tell us that they are in any way evil, but he says that our passions, the things that kill us, children of God, are such as, now these are key in, in especially here. Now when I talk about passion, some of us will say, well, we are comfortable. But let me bring home something here that kills many young people on campus. It's not about the filthy lusts, those ones we have dealt with. But now I'm talking about fleshy passions. Now this is not only about sexual immorality, but listen to these things. Being so argumentative. Is a youthful passion. I guess somebody in church is giving me a testimony that surely there are people who can argue, argue, even at times argue about the right things about doctrines of the church. But the spirit that is applied in trying to argue about them makes somebody a non believer. So Paul is not only speaking about the passion of flesh, which are related to sexual immorality. But it's also telling Timothy regarding arguments. Verse 24. 2 Timothy verse 20, chapter 2 verse 24. Listen to what he says. Verse 24. He says what? Let's read together. And servant of the Lord must not. Some translations say what? Quarrel. Quarrel. You know some people think that being in church. But you can still quarrel. Hmm? You know, I come from a place where people can quarrel anytime. Abogoi. <laughs> yeah, it's easy for them. You're telling you I'm going to beat you. He'll do it. Yeah, if there's no stone near, he will beat you with the hands. And sometimes I wonder with some of young people in church, they but be what? Be gentle unto all men. And up to teach and patient. Meaning, be gentle. Be gentle. Because as a young person, who wants to teach you? You know everything. And with Google, you can know, you can understand. So, but Paul is telling, flee from your youthful passion. 
that at times make you think you know everything. The argumentative spirit sometimes kills the relationships of men and even yourself because as you allow yourself to be argumentative, you, you imbibe a spirit like of the enemy. There's nothing wrong with discussing church doctrines and you understand, as I said at the beginning, the compasses are the places where God initiates revivals but the compasses are also where many of the apostasies and heresies begin. Because some young people get so zealous and begin to argue about everything. Even the things that angels have not known. But they want to know. They want to know. Because the Bible tells us there are things angels have not known. And which things? When Jesus will come. But some people are so sure. They'll tell you now that Makafuli is dead. Jesus is coming tomorrow. I'm just telling you about it, just an example. But the thing I'm telling you, children of God, the contagious spirit is one of the fleshy passions of you. Another thing he says, impatient, impatient. You know, when you are a youth, it's like you want everything yesterday. Yesterday. They want it now, you want it now, you can't wait. You can't wait. You can't wait for a godly spouse. Yeah, you, you, you can't wait. That's a passion of youth. You want it now. And that leads you to compromise. You want to get into dating now. You have not handled yourself fast. Because the worst date you want to have is somebody who is coming to you and depending on you. To make them happy. To make them feel loved. And that is a problem at times of our development stages in life. There are stages when you only fall in love just for the love's sake. Somebody loves you. Some people just get into a relationship. You go home or before you sleep, somebody has just texted, I love you. You don't know anything about the person, but you just that you sleep well. So tomorrow, when that person takes off, you are dying. Because you are in that relation for love's sake. You are not in that relationship to probably be in yourself. I tell young people this way. For you to fall in love, you have to be first and above all happy about yourself. That should be the first qualification of falling in love. Am I happy with myself? If you're not, please postpone that for a while. Because that is what breaks your heart. You have, this person has been your fool all the time. He fools your emotions. He makes you feel worthy. So the day he takes off, you are getting a disease, Zaidi, Corona-19. Ukona fever, ukona diarrhea, you ukona kila kitu. Am I saying something to God's people? Jipende kwanza. Before you you allow somebody to tell, ada mtu akikuambia nimeona umenipendeza, mwambie wacha nifikirie. Alafu uende nyumbani usikie stress zako zote uzitafakari useme hii stress inakuanga nayo ni ya nini? Some of the stresses you are drawing is because you have come out of a family. Daddy never even told you he loves you. Mommy never told you. So somebody has come out in the blues and tell you love you. <laughs> then that you think is life. If you have not dealt with some of those scars in your life, please don't try this at home. <laughs> People of God, children of God, I love you so much. And the things I say them, I say them with passion. Don't be impatient. That is one of a youthful, youthful lust. This is one of the passions that kills us. And then they are the same thing of selfish ambition. This is a passion of youth. There are things people do out of selfish ambition. You know, uh, yeah, the young are commonly focused on, on making themselves great. You know, uh, you know, you always listen to everything going around before you preach. And I was hearing my elder 
Eric say that his friend there uh, pushed him at lazima ampe nafasi asalamie watu you know i i'm i'm remembering that as i'm thinking about selfish ambition it could have been a joke i guess it was but i guess at times even the service of god it's all about me it's all about me as a young person it's all about me as I'm an elder in the church it's all about me we go tomorrow for sports it's all about me shining i'm the cutest i'm the smartest and the most successful all these things sometimes children of god will kill your life with jesus because it's all about you and this is the things that god calls us that we may be able to flee he says have the mind of jesus who was like god philippians 2 verse 5 he had a mind of jesus who was like god but he saw it not something to hold on but he humbled himself even to be as servant children of god are, are, are you fleeing from your sinful youthful lusts as paul tells timothy uh, it's true that at times as young people we get so consumed with these youthful lusts which the bible telling us that we need to flee from that we may be of usefulness to god and i'm telling somebody that it's not so much about god activities in our lives but it's only as god uses you that you begin to find meaning in your life so jesus comes into your life and jesus coming into your life by his death the bible tells us god sets you apart god makes you separate from all that is in your life but as i said the purging you and jesus must be in partnership you ought to choose that god makes you what he has intended to make you in jesus christ and that's the reason why god invites us to make a decision to choose him because let me tell you children of god that all of us are vessels the distinction is the choices we make of how we want to be used of god The Bible speaks of Nebuchadnezzar evil as he was the Bible says he was in the hands of God as a vessel God used him to punish the Israelites but later on God also punished the Babylonians because they were still evil they didn't allow themselves to remain in the hands of the master so it's all upon us it's all upon us